been a little while since I've done this. Uh, I was given a, a little bit of a break uh, for the first few months of uh, Judah being around, which was quite good because uh, I would have stood here with bleary eyes and not made much more sense than I normally make. Um, but I just want to say thank you to everyone as well. You've, you've been ace to us and you've really helped us um, as Judah's been born and uh, all of those things that we've had to do, uh, getting used to being parents. So thank you very much for everything. Um, we're currently working through a preaching series on Romans 5 to 8. Uh, this morning I'll be preaching on Romans 6 verses 1 to 14. Uh, I've been given the title, Dead to Sin Through Union with Christ. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Romans 6. Um, I'm following Tim's lead from a couple of weeks ago, and I've not done any slides. Uh, it's controversial to do that, um, but I was scared of getting tripped up on this this morning. Um, so I want to concentrate on on what I've got in front of me, uh, rather than flicking. Uh, I'm a man, I can't multitask that well. Um, So if you've got a Bible, we're going to look through Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. I just want to pray for us a moment. Lord, I want to pray. Would you come and would you speak clearly to us this morning. Lord, sometimes we we read passages again and again, Lord, and we think we know them. I just want to pray, would you open our eyes this morning? Lord, would you open our hearts to hear from you? Lord, I thank you that you've spoken to us through the worship this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're with us and that you're for us. Lord, I pray, would would you speak to us and would would we be receptive to you this morning? Amen. So how are we going to approach this passage this morning? Um, I want to look at it in the following way. I want to look at what has happened. I want to look at what this means for us. And then thirdly, I want to look at what our response is to this passage. So if we start with what has happened. uh, Verse 1 and 2 read like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? As we start this passage, it appears that we've entered it at a point where it's already been gathering quite a momentum. 
There appears to have been something that was taking place beforehand for there to be such a strong answer that Paul uses here. He says, what shall we say then? And that's not really the way that you start, um, start a book. It's not the way that you start a chapter. Uh, so it means that there must have been something before it, and this is part of a bigger story. So we need to see what went before it before we can move on. Uh, last week, Nigel preached on the passage before mine. He preached from the title, Reigning in Life. He explains how we were once in Adam. When we were born, our identity came through Adam. Adam was our representative. He was the one that we were connected to. His sin was our sin. His curse was our curse. His punishment was our punishment. His death became our death. And his separation from God became our separation from God. However, when we become a Christian, we become a new man through Christ. We've been given a great and a free gift through him. When we become a Christian, we are put in Christ. We are no longer in Adam, but we're now put into Christ instead. (coughs) Jesus' victory has become our victory. His life has become our life. His intimacy with the Father becomes our intimacy with the Father. And his freedom becomes our freedom. We are now connected with him. We are in him. And we're joined with him. Nigel showed us that if we understand this incredible free gift of salvation, if we understand the power and the potency of this great gift of grace, we will not only know it, but we'll experience its power in our everyday life. Through Adam, sin entered the world because of Adam's disobedience to God. This in turn brought death into the world. All of us, because we are born into Adam at the moment that we were born, We were therefore born into a life of sin and death. Our life was full of giving in to sinful and corrupt desires, and our bodies decayed to the point of death. It's quite a nice message to start with. However, when we become a Christian, we are justified. Our sin is no longer counted against us. Jesus paid the price for us. His abundant and rich gift to us was that he he paid the price that we couldn't pay. This gift is greater and more powerful than the trespass of Adam. Jesus has set us free from slavery to sin, and we now stand before God without sin and without guilt because we are in Christ. Nigel encouraged us to celebrate this incredible gift that we've been given. We put all of our difficulties and our situations on one side of the scales And on the other side of the scales, we put Jesus and the incredible gift of salvation he's given us. And what happens is that Jesus outweighs everything. That's what reigning in life is all about. We've got an incredible gift. So the passage that Nigel went through ends by comparing the trespass to what Adam Adam has done. And he compares it with a free gift that we have through Jesus. And he said the following. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that is what has happened just before our passage. 
the people of Hyd, Paul, pe- Paul teaching them about how incredible this gift is. They were once sinners. Their destiny was death. But they've received a free gift which they could never avert. Jesus has died for them and was raised for them to make them righteous, to make them right with God. They are now able to stand before God without guilt or shame, and they are able to live an eternal life with him. So some of the responses that comes from them is actually outrage to hearing this. They respond by questioning if Paul is actually encouraging them to live a life of lawlessness and sensuality. They hear Paul saying that where sin is increased, grace abounds all the more. And their question is, therefore, are you saying that I can go on sinning and all it does is to add to God's grace? The teaching in the book of Romans actually evokes anger in some people. It's something that can be controversial to people. And actually we see this through history. We see how people have responded to the teaching in the book of Romans. Uh, One of the the best-known and publicized periods in history for this was the Reformation. On the 31st of October, 1517, which was a few years before I was born, Martin Luther published his 95 thesis, and he showed how far the church had wandered from the gospel. He had rediscovered the teaching in Romans and other such letters. He saw how it contrasted with the practice of the Catholic Church of the day. Martin Luther's eyes were opened to this incredible good news of the gospel, which was actually about as far away as you could get from what he was seeing in, uh, in the church at that time. The gospel that he discovered was that we were far away from God, and God came to us and rescued us. He came and gave us a free gift of salvation. Instead of a gospel based on what we could do to be accepted by God, he saw that the real gospel was about the height and the depth and the breadth of God's love towards us. Martin Luther and many others recaptured this incredible truth from the book of Romans, and they challenged the teachings and the practice of the Catholic Church. Uh, The gospel of the Catholic Church wasn't a gospel at all, because it was based on a teaching about salvation coming through works, coming through what you did to earn your salvation. And that really isn't good news, because I'm never going to be able to do enough to earn my salvation. The true gospel which the Reformers recaptured was that salvation comes from faith alone in Christ alone. It has nothing to do with my worth and my works, but it's wholly to do with Jesus and his worth and his works. And those are credited to me. This gospel was controversial and it provoked people. They opposed it, and again they said that this gospel would bring lawlessness. It was so controversial that many of the reformers were actually killed for their beliefs. Um, someone in my family history is a guy called George Wishett. Um, Wishett, you will know that uh, our son, we've given him the name Judah Nathan Wishett Leslie, and this is one of the reasons. Um, George Wishett was one of the Scottish reformers and was actually burnt um, at the stake in St. Andrews on the 1st of March, 1546, for preaching this very gospel that we preach today. So it's something which provokes a reaction in people. This is why Paul begins Romans 6 in this way. He preempts the uh, controversy that will go on. He sees their response and their opposition brewing up inside them. 
and to even ask their question for them. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul's response to this question that he asks is by no means. Or in other ways, no. It's a simple way of putting it. But Paul doesn't just stand up, say that, and then put the Bible down and walk away. He actually constructs why uh, he believes this. He argues that we cannot go on sinning because we have died to sin. He explains what has happened to us in the past tense and explains how this should affect us now and in the future. Paul says the following of us, that this has actually taken place in the past tense to us. He says we have died to sin. We were baptized into Christ. We were baptized into Christ's death. We were buried with him by baptism into his death. We've been given newness of life. We were united with Christ in his death and united with him in his resurrection. Our old self has been crucified. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We have been set free from sin. Because we died with Christ, we also live with him. Sin has no dominion over us because we are not under law, but we're under grace. Paul is speaking in the past tense in all of these statements. It's not something that we aspire to, but rather something which has already occurred in us when we became a Christian. So I want to look at what Paul's saying um, in order to look at how that helps us to stop sinning. And the first thing he says is that we die to sin. Just going to have a quick break. I think that was too much haggis last night. So, what does it mean for us to be dead to sin? Perhaps the best way to look at it is to first look at what, what we used to be, and then that can help us to understand what has happened to us now. So, before we became a Christian, the Bible describes us as being dead in sin. Not dead to sin, dead in sin. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. He says that we were dead in our sins and transgressions in which we were walking. We were effectively dead men walking. Does this mean that we were physically dead until we became a Christian? No. Actually, we were very much alive, and that's how we could carry out the sinful desires. Um, So what does it mean for us to have been dead in our sin? It means that we were dead spiritually. Our spirit was not open to God. We were separated from from him and we didn't know him. The word dead means something that has no life. There is no connection, no joining force, no power, no animation, no enjoyment, no circulation, no excitement and no relevance. If something is dead, it can't be brought to life. So before we became a Christian, this is who we were towards God. We were dead in our sin. We enjoyed our sin. Sin and death was our dwelling place. We spent our day there. It's where we had camped ourselves. And we had no enjoyment with God. We were dead to to God. We were separated from him. As he spoke, our hearts wouldn't respond. We were dead to him because we were dead in sin. But then the Holy Spirit began a work in us. He worked in this dead person. 
He illuminated Jesus. He revealed Jesus to us. There was a flickering in us which occurred. The Holy Spirit made us aware that we were dead. He revealed to us the mess that we were in. And he showed us our great need to get right with God. There was a trace of a pulse as the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to the wonder of the free gift of salvation. He showed us that the answer was found in Christ alone. He is the one who has taken our place. The Holy Spirit revealed to us that we could have new life through Christ by accepting we've sinned and needed a saviour and making a decision to follow Christ. As we made the decision to follow Jesus and invite him to come and work in our lives, something incredible took place. We became connected with Jesus. We became alive in Christ. Christ gave us life. There was a joy in our heart and the scales fell off our eyes. We could see Jesus, we could respond to him and we could dwell with him. And Paul actually uses the picture of baptism to show us what has taken place in our lives. We were baptised into Jesus. What does it mean for us to be baptised? It means for us to be immersed, to be fully dunked, to become fully consumed into Christ. We are in him. We are joined to him. He is our dwelling place. There's no separation between us. We're connected. And that's what has happened to us as we become a Christian. So what happens to Jesus happens to us. He was sacrificed for our sins. He was crucified. He died and he was buried. So we too were crucified with him. We died with him and we were buried with him. And that's what's physically demonstrated when we baptise someone. When they go down, that's representing that they are dying. And as they're raised, it's showing that they're raised to life. They leave the old self down there. They were buried. And as they rise, they rise with Jesus. It's a physical demonstration of what has gone on in here. So we need to understand this a bit more. In verse 7, Paul says that one who has died has been set free from sin. And I think that we'd probably agree with that statement. It's quite a logical thing to say that if we die, we can no longer sin. When I die, I will not be able to sin any longer because I'm dead. I can't respond to sin. Paul argues that because of our connection with Jesus, we are one in him and with him. And because he has died, we have died with him. Sin no longer has dominion and power over him and no, has, no longer has it over us. We've been set free from sin's power, grip and hold over us. We're dead to it. We were once dead in it, but we're now dead to sin. And this goes back to Nigel's sermon last week. How did we have sin in us? We had it in us because we were in Adam. That's who we belonged to. We were, we were connected with Adam. Sin came to us through Adam. But now we become a Christian, we become a new man. We're connected to Jesus. We're found in him. We're separated from sin through Christ. When we were in Adam, the curse that, was under, sorry, the curse that he was under was also the curse we were under. His curse was our curse. But now that we're in Jesus, his life is ours. His gift is ours. His salvation is ours. It all comes through him, by him, and in him.
And Paul doesn't end there. He says that just as we died with Christ, we were also raised with him. We were resurrected with him. We're alive in and through Christ. Death has no dominion over us any longer. We are more alive than we ever thought we could be. There is life in me through Christ. I once was dead in sin and dead to God. But now I'm dead to sin and alive in God. There's an eternal transformation that has occurred in me. So how does this affect us then? Paul is saying to those who are asking him, if this gospel of grace leads to a lawless living, he throws out a question to them and says, how can it lead to such a life? In fact, this gospel of grace leads to a more righteous life than the life of law. If we're dead to sin, our life is transformed forever. Our default before being a Christian was that we responded to sin. We were entrapped to it. We were enslaved to it. But now, our dwelling place is with God. Previously, uh, we were so entrapped to sin that when God looked at us, all he saw was sin and death. We were under its power and under its dominion. We were connected to it, and sin was in our DNA. It was who we were. We were described as children of darkness. It was our identity. It would be like, I'm Rupert, I, I sin. It was who I was. I sinned because I was in Adam. I was aligned to Adam, and sin ran through my veins. It brought me death and separation from God, and I was in a desperate place. I was in a miry pit, as it's described in the Bible. I was at the beck and call of sin. It would call my name, and I would respond to it. It was in me, and it had its claws on me. It hooked me, and I couldn't escape from sin. I didn't know any other way to live. My eyes had scales on them. I couldn't see beyond my own sin. My pleasure was sin. It is what I did to enjoy myself. It was my being. It was my all. It was my purpose. But God. Jesus broke in. He paid a cost. He took on himself my sin and he was crucified and died for me. And this is an incredible mystery. He died for me. For me, he dies. I am with him and I die to sin. As I am raised with him, I have new life. We sing that song, the chains fell off. I'm free from sin. I am alive. Jesus is my life now. I'm not under sin's dominion. Why would I go back to sin when this is now my identity? Sin is powerless to me. I'm no no longer connected to sin. It no longer has a hold over me. I'm free from sin. I am in Jesus. He is the one I now dwell with. I want to be with Jesus. I'm drawn to Jesus. I run to Jesus. I fall at his feet. I worship him. So do I go on sinning so that grace may abound? The answer is by no means. I'm dead to sin through my union with Christ. I died to sin. I died to its power. And I'm now alive in Christ. I'm as far from sin as the east is from the west. But then there's the million dollar question. I'm a Christian, but I still sin. Does that mean, therefore, that I'm not a Christian because I sin? In other words, Paul says in this passage 
that we've died to sin. So how can a Christian still sin if he's dead to it? We need to go back to our passage for the answer. Paul says lots of things about us in the past tense, and we've already looked at those. But we now need to look at what he says in the present and the future tense. These are the things that he says in the, in the present and future tense about us. He says to walk in newness of life. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do not present your members to sin and present your members as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God and present your members as instruments for righteousness. So all of this, hi Judah, all of this seems odd. Paul has said that when we become a Christian, we die to sin and we're alive in Christ. It's something which has taken place and cannot be changed. It's something which already took place to us. We died to sin. The moment that we've become a Christian, this is what's true of you. You died to sin. But then he wastes time, surely, by saying what we need to do. He gives us this instruction of go and live in this way. Well, if we die to sin, that's who we're going to be. But actually what's happened is that there's a tension going on between the physical and the spiritual. The physical needs to catch up with the spiritual in us. Everything that Paul has listed in the past tense is what has already taken place to me spiritually. However, it's not taken place to this physical body yet. It went on in my spirit instead. There was not a physical rebirth. I wasn't physically born again, but I was spiritually born again. This body is still decaying and dying. When I became a Christian, it was not that I went from having a weak and a feeble body to suddenly having a six-pack, although that would be good. I wouldn't have to go to the gym then. Um, I was mocked yesterday for asking a question if someone was a gym person, um, kind of thinking I was a gym person after going twice, but that doesn't count apparently. Um, but that is not what happened. It's not that we become a Christian and then suddenly we have amazing bodies. You know, I can see all of you. We don't have amazing bodies. What happens is that this is something which is going on in our spirit. And this is why we can still sin and why we still do sin, is that although we die to sin spiritually, our bodies are still very much alive to sin. My body still sins, very much so indeed. Sin is no longer in my being, but it's in my members. It's in my body. What do I mean by this? Well, Satan continues to come to me, and he tempts me day and night. He appeals to my weaknesses. He appeals to my body. He's not appealing to my spirit because that is one with Jesus. He appeals to my body. An example of this is I go into a shop and I see the sweets on the shelf. I've got eyes, so I still see them. I see that they're appealing. I still have a tongue, and my tongue wants to taste the flavors of the sweets. I still have saliva too much or too little at points and I salivate with anticipation of eating the sweets don't worry I mop up my lips but I put my hands in my pocket and there's no money 
quite possibly. It's because I'm in Tesco, you see. Or for, uh, for the sake of um, advertising any other big supermarket chain. Um, and they're a big enough shop that surely they won't notice if I just steal these sweets. They, they've got a big enough profit margin. We've seen the news recently. I still have hands, so I reach out my hands to the sweets. I take the sweets. I put them in my pocket. I still have legs, so I can walk out of Tesco. And then I enjoy them when I walk out. This isn't something that I've done. (laughs) Not in Tesco, anyway. Um, This is our physical body. Our physical body is what Satan appeals to. He tries to entice us to do things which disobey God, but bring us some fleeting pleasure in our body. So inside I'm changed, but this body can still be appealed to. As Peter says, the, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If when you became a Christian, you were physically, sorry, physically dead to sin as well as spiritually dead to sin, that would be the end of the game. Game over. We, you know, there'd be no need. We'd just go to heaven and that would be it. Satan wouldn't have a job on earth, but he still comes and he entices us because our body is still alive. So what Paul has said beforehand then about being dead to sin must be useless information to us then because I'm still going to sin because I've got a physical body. But actually what he's saying is to take the offensive against sin. He says to take what has already happened to us spiritually and to bring it into the physical. And our mind is key to all of this. Paul t- tells us to spend time considering what has happened to us and then to walk in the newness of life that we've been given. What we think and what we believe has a huge effect on what we do. Later in this letter, Paul goes so far as to say that we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our mind is crucial to how we live. We need to meditate on the truth of what has already happened to our spiritual self so that it will affect our earthly self. I know that I'm forgetful. Um, I'm forever forgetting things and forever losing things. And I'm not alone in that, I believe. And as we look through the Bible, we see time and time again that God's people are forgetful people. We see... um, instances time and time again of great victories, great salvation. God comes and he saves his people. And we think they've cracked it. We turn the page and we see that they've forgotten what he's done for them. It's been a physical salvation which has occurred and then they forget it the next moment. And that's what happens to us is that we know we've been saved and then we forget it. We forget our salvation. We forget this incredible gift And what Paul is encouraging us to do is to engage our minds. He says that we need to be alert and to meditate on this truth. Sometimes we think that uh, meditation is passive, that all we do is that we sit in the corner, legs crossed, hands on our knees going, hmm, and that's all we do. We don't think of anything. But this type of meditation involves thinking. It's an active thing. 
We're to take hold of the amazing mystery of our salvation. We're to wrestle with it. We're to seek to understand our salvation. We ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate this salvation to us. We're to get it into us. Once we get it into us, we're then to walk in it. We consider it and we put it into action. We're told not to present ourselves to our old way. Don't present your body to sin because it's gone. That's your old self. You have a new self. Present your members to God instead. Delight in Jesus. He is the one you are connected to. Take your delight from him. Some of this came through our worship as well. Um, We were told to lift our eyes to Jesus. We were told to look at him. We were told to wait on God. He is the one who helps us. He doesn't grow faint. He doesn't grow weak. And he's with us and he's for us. Meditate on him. Enjoy him. Present yourself to him instead. How do we stop sinning? We align ourselves with who we are. We come to him. So am I talking about some sort of positive thinking here? Am I suggesting that uh, we change our behavior by just having a positive outlook? What I'm doing instead is I'm, I'm challenging this. There could be a view saying that uh, we change the way that we live, and by changing the way that we live, we become righteous and we become dead to sin. But that's not what I'm suggesting here. What I'm saying instead is that we're not saved through the good works that we do, but rather our salvation produces good works. I'll flip that around again. So we're not saying that we're saved through good works. We are not saved by what we do. Rather, I'm saying that our salvation produces good work in us. So as we understand our salvation, it changes us. It changes what we do. Our focus is on Jesus. As we understand that this is who we've become, we follow him, we serve him, we love him. So good works spring out of us because of our salvation. It's not that our good works produce salvation, it's that our salvation produces good works. And we see that Paul says this quite clearly. He says that um, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. We started off in such a spiritual void, we were dead. And as we go on being transformed, we find more and more sinful self that needs transforming. Well, I certainly do anyway. You all might be much better than me, but every time I'm transformed a bit, I look and there's still so much that I need to deal with. When we die physically, we will meet Jesus and we'll have a new body which matches our spiritual self. That new body won't be affected by sin and death. We will live with Jesus in a fully transformed body. That body will be fully perfected, so will not respond to sin. So at the moment we've got a spiritual body, sorry, we've got a spiritual self which has been changed, but we've got a physical body which still responds to sin. So we need to come and we need to engage our spiritual self. We need to think about who we've become. We need to engage with that. We need to ask the Spirit to come and work in us. But there's coming a day when this physical body will be changed and it will all match. We will be fully transformed. We will be fully perfected with him. And I just want to conclude then by summing this up and looking at what our our response is. We've seen this morning that being a Christian is that when we became a Christian, we died to sin. 
At the moment that we became a Christian, that is true of you. You died to sin. It happened through Jesus. It was not something that was a, a thinking thing. It's not something that you said, I've become a Christian, so now I will die to sin. It's that this happened to you through Jesus. Through Jesus, you died to sin. We uh, were now in him. We're inseparable from Christ. As he was raised, we were raised, and we have a new spiritual self. Because of this great gift, we put behind us our former ways of sin, and we meditate on who we have become. And we offer ourselves to God, and we worship him. I've got three responses for us this morning. The first one is, if you're not a Christian, what are you waiting for? I'm just going to say, please come and chat to me after about the wonderful gift of salvation. Secondly, if you are are already a Christian, I want to encourage you to spend time meditating on who you have become. Your salvation is not licensed to sin, but it is a catalyst to prepare yourself for heaven. I'll just repeat that a moment. Your salvation is not a license to sin, but it is a catalyst to prepare yourself for heaven. Be transformed. Put behind you your old self. Live in your new identity. This is not something to be done by yourself either. We notice that all of Paul's wording here was about we and your and ours. This is something which has happened to us. When we've all become Christians, this is what occurred in us. We're joined to Christ. We're in Christ. We're his body. We're together. So therefore, spend time provoking each other. Spend time encouraging each other. Spend time saying, this is who you are in Christ. You hear someone struggling, say, this is who you are. Encourage them with truth. Help them to meditate on these wonderful truths. These wonderful truths change our life. This is what happens with what Nigel said last week. If we put this into action, if we understand this, we reign in life. We live a completely different life. So I want to offer you some practical things to do. Is that When you go to coffee, and I do mean this, and I will check up, is I want you to go and commit yourself to someone. I want you to go, this person, I'm going to provoke them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to spur them on in truth. So think of that person even now as I'm closing. Think of who that person's going to be. Go up to them and say, I will spur you on. Thirdly, if you are a Christian, yet you've not yet been baptised, what are you waiting for as well? You have died with Christ. You were buried with him. And now you have been raised with him. Baptism is a physical demonstration of what has already gone on inside you. And it's a public declaration of the wonderful work of God. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. But faith produces something. It changes the way that we live. And it causes us to do things. And in this case, Jesus is um, actually encouraging us to be baptised, to declare to people what he has done to us. It's putting our faith into action. So if you've not been baptised, again, come and chat to me afterwards. So I'll just pray, and then we'll go and have some coffee. Think of who that person is, and go and chat to them and commit to them.
Lord, I want to thank you that you have saved us. Lord, I want to thank you that you broke in when I couldn't have done anything. Lord, I was dead in my sin, but you came to me. You rescued me. You lifted me out of the pit. Lord, you united me with yourself. Lord, I died with you, and I was raised with you. Lord, I thank you that I'm alive in Christ. I thank you that I'm dead to sin through you. Lord, and I want to pray, would you come and would you work in us? I want to pray that you would help us, Lord, to become people who put this into action. Lord, we are so forgetful. Lord, we forget what you have done for us. I want to pray, would you help us to engage our minds? Would you help us to remember what you have done? Lord, such an incredible gift, such an incredible mystery. Lord, you have loved us so much that you have laid aside your son for us. Lord, I want to thank you that you gave your son for us. Lord, and we can now live with him and we are raised with him. Lord, would you help us to live in our new identity? Amen. Meeting is at a formal close. There's tea, coffee, cake, I guess, um, at this. So please go and grab some, but also grab a person as well and tell them that you'll commit to them.